0: How's it going, everyone? Tyler Dunn here at GoLong. Thank you so much for listening to the Go Long podcast. Hey, over at GoLongTD.com, we have part one of the mailbag, exceptional submissions by all. That's for our paid subscribers. Some answers on Brandon Bean's drafting in comparison to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is probably the GM's most important draft since taking Josh Allen in 2018. We look back, in history to the 1950 Cleveland Browns and why we all should appreciate football before the Super Bowl era. Hey, what about the Tom Clements effect? He coached Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Now look at what he's doing with Jordan Love. We discussed that a bit. And what are teams across the NFL going to copy in 2024 off of Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas? Steve Spagnola laid out Quite a blueprint for all to see. We get into that. Patrick Mahomes, potential rule changes, and a far, far, far too early Super Bowl prediction in New Orleans, all in part one of three. This is for our subscribers, golongtd.com. If you're a listener of the podcast, if you're on our free mailing list, it's a great time to join our community as a subscriber. We're going to have a lot of projects coming for you. Go And I'll be heading to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine next week. We'll be out there all week talking to scouts, coaches, GMs, and these uh, prospects as we transition into draft mode. Of course, Bob McGinn's 40th annual draft series will be right here at Go Long as well. That's only for our paid subscribers. So thank you to everybody who is part of our community. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. No ads, no sponsors. We are completely powered by our readers. And here on the podcast for this episode, I think you're really going to like it. It's something a little different. Chase Griffin, UCLA quarterback, uh, has done a hell of a lot off the field, uh, empowering the collegiate athlete in the NIL era. I think that this is such a blurry realm that not a lot of us are that familiar with. A lot of controversy surrounding NIL. Well, Chase Griffin is uh, is the person you want to talk to to kind of clear things up. So enjoy this. And we'll catch you over at Go Long very soon. Thanks so much, everyone. This is the great chase griffin chase i've been looking forward to this for a while um honestly i didn't know a lot about you and everything that you've done for the good of and beyond sports really entrepreneurship the american dream uh, i can't wait to get into everything with you but for those who don't know chase it's it sells you short to say that you're a a quarterback in this glorious game of football because you're 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 fighting for more than that but how's it going today man
1: well, I'm to be here Friday. Just finished up the week of workouts. Got a busy day planned ahead, but I'm glad we were able to get some time here to talk. Two
0: time NIL athlete of the year, I believe. Uh before that, Gatorade player of the year down in Texas, quarterback at UCLA. And it's it's funny, this as, as Tommy Callahan once said, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I mean, you're but you're going into your sixth year chasing your third degree, so a little different than Tommy. Uh, awesome. I mean, how how do you do it all?
1: I have fun with it all. It's really just about remaining grateful, seeing things as opportunities. And I chose to go to UCLA for a reason. I think, you know, over my time and experience here, I've been finding new ways to maximize that decision. So let, I guess start at
0: the start, because when you were a little kid, I want to say what, like, I don't know how old you were in the video you posted on on X. I mean, your dream was really to play football at UCLA, right?
1: I always wanted to go back to LA. I was born at UCLA Santa Monica Hospital, which is actually right down the street uh, from where I live now, close to Wilshire. And uh, when I got that call from Coach Kelly, I remember being so excited. I told my mother, if they offer me, I'm going to commit on spot. And that's exactly what happened. It's been a blessing.
0: That's great, man. It's in and- your your game speaks for itself. I mean, the numbers you put up and the national recognition, even everything you've done at UCLA. But what, when did you realize you could have a bigger impact on sports, like beyond the field?
1: I think part of that goes into why I chose UCLA. It wasn't just because I was born here uh, or because it is a great school. It's really about the folks who have come and paved the way for what it means not only to be an athlete, but what it means to be a student at UCLA. Uh, You have Ralph Bunch, Jackie Robinson, Jackie Joyner-Kersee, Arthur Ashe, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The cohort of college athletes, and not just the athletic history, but the black history at UCLA um, is uh, up there with, with any other institution in America. And so when I chose UCLA, I felt like it was right in line with utilizing all of my talents, both on and off the field, uh, and I feel sort of an onus uh, upon myself and, and other athletes who choose to, you know, rep those four letters uh, to just be our best self on and off the field. And I think the best way that I contribute to my community is, you know, A, trying to be an example, primarily for for my brother and my sister, uh, and then just continuing to to take advantage of opportunities and spread that wealth to others, whether it be information sharing, whether it be empowerment, whether it be, you know, actually giving through philanthropy. Uh, those are all things that are near and dear to my heart that I also know embody what it means to be a great collegiate athlete here at UCLA.
0: So when you first get to campus, NIL, name, image, image and likeness, Um, I mean, we don't really even have to say that at this point. It just kind of rolls off the tongue NIL and everybody knows what we're talking about, but it's not a thing, right? I mean, when you first get there athletes, I guess, by the letter of the law, aren't allowed to get paid for their talents. Now look where we are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was just books and ball. And, you know, uh, I had already done some work with brands just because my senior year in Texas, I was the Gatorade player of the year for Tough Player of the Year, and I'd won awards for both In-N-Out and Whataburger. So I'd gone to branded events. I'd done branded press releases. Obviously, I wasn't compensated for any of that. uh, But I understood how the value that I could create could be beneficial to a brand. Uh, And and then the same way, uh, I went to Hutto High School, One Horse Town. At the time, I think we're getting another high school soon. But at the time, it was One Horse Town, Friday Night Lights environment. And... I got used to, from the age of 15, doing interviews as a main representative for my community. Um, And when you learn how to represent something larger than yourself, whether it be your town, your school, your family, um, you get used to having something not just for for you to lose, but you have a reputation to carry for others. Uh, And I think that's sort of a, a mindset that has prepared me when we ushered into being able to work with brands in the NIL space to be a good brand advocate and brand ambassador.
0: It's just crazy. to me. it really shouldn't be a controversial issue. Maybe it's not anymore, but at the core of NIL is the, the, the free market and the American dream and an 18 year old, a 19 year old, 20 year old, having a, having a talent and the free market saying, this is what you're worth, right? Like go get, every penny you, you can. And are we past the point of that being, uh, a debate? I guess, start there. Like, do, do you think that there's still people who believe a college scholarship is, is enough and college athletes shouldn't get a dime beyond that?
1: I think when you look at the landscape, um, what you're sort of starting to touch on is pay for play. Um, NIL, you know, is the ability for athletes to monetize. I'm kind of blurring it all there. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, it's important to recognize the distinction uh, just because it's easy to, to overlap. There's a lot of athletes who in the age of NIL still haven't been compensated at all. Uh if they don't know how to advocate for a brand, or maybe they haven't found a brand that matches who they are authentically, or they just frankly don't have, you know, time or energy or wherewithal to, to create content, uh, then a lot of these folks haven't made a single dime from NIL. First time they'll be paid is during the revenue share age, which will be here uh much sooner than many think uh might even be here this fall with proposal. Uh, Project D1 uh, by Governor Baker, who's currently the president of the NCAA. Um, I think when you when you look at how society is viewing that, uh, public sentiment is definitely up. From the athlete perspective, I think the vast majority support it. Uh, and then from the school perspective and, and conference perspective in, in particular, they're gearing up and preparing for it. It's less of a, how do we feel about it? And now at this point, how do we prepare for it? and create an advantageous situation for college athletes because the conferences that create advantageous conditions for college athletes are going to be able to recruit the best and they'll have the most champions. So I think it's it's sort of at a point where public opinion is there enough uh, and it will continue to grow similar to NIL where before NIL people were sort of hesitant on it as soon as it was passed and, you know, people kept on watching games and, you know, Players weren't going on strike because they were getting NIL money. Uh, college football remained, you know, having one of their highest watched, if not the highest watch season. Um, so I think in the same way, NIL honestly elevated college sports because now you actually get to see another face of the athlete off of the field. Uh, revenue share will do the same and then they'll empower the college athletes. And once they have a stake in the business, then they'll actually be incentivized to grow it.
0: So perfectly said it. It's crazy to think that for the longest time, and I can't, I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times. There's an article, I think Taylor Branch wrote it in like 2011, 2012, the shame of college athletics and the basis on which the NCAA was founded. It's crazy. I mean, it, it how the NCAA as a body was kind of founded on fallacies and the illusion of power. And it, it was kind of grown and grown and grown over years, over decades to get to this point. So to be a key player and kind of undoing that may be a little strong, but empowering the people who make it what it is. And right? you guys are the ones that are filling these stadiums and these arenas. Hell, it's bigger than that. And I'm sure, as, as you've noted, people just enrolling in a college. I mean, everybody listening, think about being a kid who your favorite college team. I remember watching Syracuse orange men, not even the orange at the time, go to the final four, you know, go, go to the national championship game against Kentucky in 96 and thinking, man, I want to go to Syracuse one day. Right. I, 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 I wanted to get into journalism and they had a good journalism school, but I wasn't thinking that in second grade. So at, at the core it's it's simple. It's just free market, the American dream. And I, I want to give you the opportunity here. Like you were just in Congress, right? So what's going on there? And what was that experience like? And what's what's still kind of some of the legalities, if you can explain it in in layman terms, going on with maybe the NCAA kind of still
1: um, fighting certain components of this all? Right. So first off, I just want to thank Congresswoman Trahan for, for having me uh, there and her team for reaching out uh around six months ago, I was asked to provide a quote uh and some consultation on a bill that Congresswoman Trean and Senator Murphy had put out called the called the Cap College Athlete Economic Freedom Act. Uh and as of now it's still the only piece of legislature that I've seen emerge from Congress that I think addresses a lot of what needs to be addressed in the correct way. Um fast forward, they had reached out to me uh about a bill called the fair act that uh have been pushed forward by the republican side uh of of the house subcommittee um there were a lot of things in this bill that regurgitated similar language that the ncaa has used to have almost a paternalistic control over college athlete rights and just the entire industry as a whole i mean flat out the ncaa operates as an anomaly uh, it is it is dissimilar from every other industry uh, that sort of brings together sports and entertainment and generates the amount of money that it does. So, I mean, flat out, uh, I think that's why um, they're continuously getting sued in courts and, and, and why courts are continuously suing. Uh, it is not in line with the rest of American industries that have similar factors. Um And then when I was at Congress, it, it was an amazing experience. I think I'm still at the point where I'm sort of accepting and realizing, you know, what happened. I got to speak in Congress. It was a huge blessing. But I think at the same time, it was important for them to hear from an athlete um, that, you know, frankly, has gone through NIL, has gone through pre NIL, post NIL has seen the positive changes, not only in my own life, but in other athletes lives who've been able to take advantage of it, uh, and to speak truthfully to it, anecdotally to it. Um, A lot of media uh, keeps athlete perspective out of athlete stories, ironically enough, is part of the reason why I started my podcast, Athletes Bureau. Um, And so when I was there. I just noticed the terminology, the jargon that they use uh, was evidence of an echo chamber that's that's really been brewing for a very long time between the NCAA, the media, and now Congress. And it's the reason why amongst college athletes, Congress is literally the least trusted entity when it comes to preserving uh, college athlete rights. And I think in the same way, preserving the legitimacy of college athletic economic, you know, that entire landscape.
0: I should have mentioned that at the top to everybody. Check out the Athletes Bureau. You you founded it a newsletter podcast, right? To kind of tackling all of this.
1: Yes, sir. So the Athletes Bureau um, really came because I, I was I was looking at the media not just surrounding NIL or or RevShare just college athletics in general. And, you know, you see reports on stories, you see reports on players themselves where the player's not even contacted. Uh, you see reports on on conference movements that don't take into any account how the players feel or, or what they had as far as their perspective add to that decision. Uh, and it just continuously showcases how the NCA has consistently been able to cut out using media, using other institutions, been able to cut out any type of equity uh, for college athletes. And I think we're at the time where that's changing, you know, at least on the legal side. Uh, and now it's about to start changing on the NCA policy side. I think NIL was the first domino. So in short, the Athletes Bureau is for athletes and for those who care about them um so and it's a mixture of how to go through nil how how to do your deals well what to look out for Uh, and then our main red thread is following along the court cases following along the media following along proposals and following along new developments in the college athletic economic landscape and how athletes will be paid sooner than later, how athletes may be classified as employees sooner than later. And once we're employees, how does that you know affect other aspects of our life? Can we unionize collective bargaining? These are all topics that I think will continue to legitimize the space and the Athletes Bureau will forever be Uh, a a point of information, of advocacy for athletes and for those who care about us.
0: What a great idea, because I never knew this reading. I believe it was Carter Yates's story in Texas football. So fascinating. I'll I'll link it here in the post. Um, But I think he pointed out that only 5% of articles around the NIL uh, NIL topic, quote, (laughs) a college athlete. That's kind of wild. Like this is who it's affecting. This is who it's about. Yet you hardly hear at all from the college athletes in that landscape. So what a perfect opportunity for you to create a world where that completely changes that
1: narrative. Right. Right. And we're having fun with it. And almost all of our writers um, are college students. So they are folks who are on campus who understand the importance of college athletics to the entire college experience. And they're excellent at what they do. Uh, we take pride in treating our writers with, with equity as well, uh, and, and 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 making sure that it's a good place to to write for. Uh, and we're we're constantly looking to partner with folks who want to you know continue building in the space and, and see similar vision. And I think, look, the media is is about to be gifted a whole lot more stories if they're willing to tell them from the athlete perspective, because for the first time ever, you will have athletes on the payroll who are possibly employees. Uh, and, and you'll be able to see the effects that this new status has on their life. And, right. And how, you're not
0: terrified of getting benched by uh, Nick Saban for saying the right. wrong thing. You're getting, you're getting paid. It's okay. <laughs> yes, Speak a little more right. freely.
1: Right. And, and not just that. Uh Folks will be able to send more money back home. That changes lives. Folks will be able to save more money. That changes lives once they leave college. And folks will be able to practice paying taxes, be able to practice good financial habits, and, and be able to build generational wealth building habits, whether they make money or not in college.
0: And dude, like, I, gosh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just kind of shouting into the abyss for no reason and, and nobody disagrees, but I just don't get the counter argument to any of this because, and I'm admittedly pro player. You know, if I have a bias covering the sport, the players are the ones putting their bodies on the line, their brains on the line. Just look at like the Steve McMichael stuff this week into the hall of fame, ALS. I don't know how you can't make the connection between the sport and what it's doing to his life where, you know, he's got a 16 year old daughter that he might not be able to see graduate high school or well, well, I mean, his health is taking a turn here. I, you you have an opportunity to make money off of a skill to change your life, to change your family's life. Everybody listening to this podcast has read our stories. I mean, where so many of these players come from, I mean, hell, Damar Hamlin, and we all know Damar Hamlin now, but McKeese rocks. He told me a couple of years before he nearly died on the football field that more than half of his friends are dead that he grew up with. Right. I mean, and that's it's not abnormal. So why? Why not? Like there's, there's a lot of money to be had in this sport. Why not have that money be channeled for good in these different areas? And if the counterpoint is, well, these are 18 year old kids, they don't know what to do with this kind of wealth. They don't know. Isn't that what college is for to figure shit out? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Maybe there should be financial uh, classes and courses and, and people in places that like now, now they help you kind of deal with this influx of cash that you have in your life. I, I'm sure this is all kind of going through your own head as you navigate NIL.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it, at, at heart, uh, it adds to the cumulative education of the college experience. If you want athletes to know how to pay taxes, give them money to taxes with. Uh, if if you want athletes to learn how to budget, give them money to budget with. It's one thing to take a class. It's another thing to practice. Uh, and look every single other industry that is similar uh especially ones that are primarily driven through media conglomerates um the talents paid and we just saw it's perfect timing we just saw the wagon sag strikes we we just saw the importance of promoting equity for the talent side uh because without it you know the the product isn't the same and and as soon as you give college athletes more stake, they're going to be incentivized to contribute and grow the value for everyone else. We are, by nature, value creators. This is just the first time that we're able to capture on it. How did
0: you really get into t- this? I think there might be people wondering, wow, how come I'm not seeing this name in mock drafts right now? Like, th- I want to say 30 deals with different – Different brands? Maybe that's even on the short end at this point. I mean, you've kind of uh, blown the lid off of this stuff. How did you become the face of NIL when you've played and you played well, but it's not necessarily Caleb Williams, you know, torching defenses every week?
1: I think uh, for me, whatever I do, I try to be excellent in it. And, uh, you know, this season, you never know. If I get the opportunity to play a lot of games this year, I I know I'm going to play well because that's how I prepare. But I prepare for the opportunities that I have. And, you know, God bless me with opportunities early in the NIL space. I was able to work with a number one brand off bat, Uh, you know, with Unilever and Degree in the the Breaking Limits campaign. uh, I was able to demonstrate my ability to speak on camera and my ability to deliver or turn on investment. Uh, Right after that, I had to deal with Shell. Um, and I'm really grateful for the folks that, you know, helped make those deals possible. Uh, and at the same time, I'm grateful that I was, you know, at a point where I was prepared, and, and and I felt like I could authentically bring value to the brands that I worked with. And by demonstrating that early, uh, I was able to build a momentum, build a standard not just for myself, but also the other brands that I worked with, uh, and I was able to, you know, set a template. And then I really... You know, I was able to look introspectively and be like, what am I about? Okay. Uh, it really came down to values. It's how I operate in every sense of business in my life. Really, every single relationship in my life uh, came down to my personal values. I work with brands that aligned with my personal values, economic value. How does the brand that I'm working with pay me or compensate me in a way that's on par with what I think I should be getting for my time and effort? And then how do I take that economic value and create community value and empowerment for others? And that's what really led to me wanting to to build out my own foundation. Uh, I've personally given to you know groups like the LA Regional Food Bank and encouraged others to do so. And, and I'm really most proud of that work, just because yeah. uh, it's one thing to be able to put yourself in a good position, but if you're able to affect others, I think that's a true testament to your individual success.
0: Plus, I mean, UCLA is really the front lines for this whole discussion with with Ed O'Bannon. I believe he's the one who introduced this as a cause worth fighting for, really, back in, I mean, he played in the mid-90s, but it was like 2014 when this really started rolling. Yep.
1: And, and, And he had been fighting for... For a very long time, come that 2014 decision, yeah. uh, and and he still continued the fight. And then Ramogi Huma, who's another Bruin, uh, has been fighting very hard on on the legal side, uh, especially on the topic of, of labor laws and unionization. So, uh, like I said at the jump, if if you want something to be done to bring bring progress, uh, check out the uh, Bruins. We we, get, we got some going on. <laughs> here in this room. And you can play too. I was just watching
0: some of your clips, man. That there was a throw, 4th and 18 overtime Utah. Man, that 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 was an NFL level throw. What what kind of game do you have? Beyond beyond the uh, business.
1: Yeah, I mean, when it comes on the field, that's that's really where I feel like I'm at my best. I remember I did a uh high school interview. And I said, I'm at my best two times when I'm playing quarterback and when I'm praying. And I think that's still, I think that's still true to this day. Um, You know, I'm a quarterback first and foremost. uh, When I'm on that field, anytime I'm around the facility, I take pride in being myself and and being who I am as a person while I'm a player. Uh, And I feel like that same mentality, as far as supplying energy to others and and giving my all and remaining cool, calm and collected, uh, under pressure and delivering uh, is sort of how I approach life in general. Uh, and it really does all come down to authenticity for me. I, I know it's, you know, you, you can say it over and over again, but if you're in situations where you can be yourself, it don't feel like work. It's effortless. And I feel like you're able to perform well.
0: Here's where I do struggle with this all, I guess. Maybe you can kind of help all of us work through it that have the same tug of war in our minds where I'm all about it. You know, um, athlete empowerment, player empowerment, get every dime that you, that, you, that is rightfully yours. Yeah, then you kind of look at college football and players just kind of going all over the country. I mean, in the portal, school to school, face a little bit of turmoil, face one obstacle, and they're gone, like bailing. And there is something to be said for staying at a school, working through some shit, being told no, being told you're not good enough, working harder, and then working your way up to get that starting spot and perform um how do you kind of um reconcile that i mean that that you're somebody who's kind of worked for everything that that you've gotten right I mean there is a value to that where the system that's in place it does kind of literally incentivize you to just go somewhere else if it's if if you're unhappy at any point
1: right. Yeah, I mean, I think for, from my perspective, I think it's important that we legitimize college athletics uh, just because there's so many things that we see. Uh, because the NCAA operates as an anomaly, we place college athletes, even amongst their peers on campus, uh, into their own box. Um, when you look at a, a typical professional trajectory, people work 10, 15 jobs over their lifetime. And no one would say, if I'm leaving one place of business, to go to another even if it's after a year or a year and a half of work uh oh you're just money hungry it's like no that person's trying to progress in their career um i think in the same way uh when we look at at college athletics coaches do this all the time if they're coaching at a smaller school they're going to go to a bigger school if they start having success you know it's just rare that someone coaches for 20 straight years at the same college um uh, and i think college athletes we have to view them as actual individuals with adult goals with you know after 4 years of college with adult responsibilities where if they're not choosing the best place and best positioning for them then I don't think they're doing it the right way. Um, and and at at the very heart of it, there is no college athlete who is on scholarship at a school right now who did not earn it. There are countless hours. There are countless sacrifices. There are days at 13 and at 14 years old where people make grown men and gr- grown women decisions in order to place them on, on the right track. And so there isn't a single athlete who gets to college uh, who isn't where they're supposed to be. Um, and then if people are mad about the portal, I say, well, revenue share is your best friend because maybe an athlete who's making $80,000 a year to go to a college feels a little bit more secure about staying another year working and working and staying another year and seeing if they could rise up the depth chart at that school rather than leaving. Uh, yeah. If and, and then at the same time, a rev share right now there are athletes who are being forced into the portal right now there's athletes who are getting called into their end of year meeting with the head coach who are being told look you're never going to play another down here if you want to chase a dream of going to the nfl you might as well leave and they're doing it for free so don't tell me that athletes are out here abusing the portal when coaches can just up and leave that's exactly what happened at ucla yeah
0: And you're right. It's no different than anybody in any profession looking around and making those decisions. I mean, this would have been after college, but I can remember, you know, working at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, having an opportunity to go a couple other places for a lot more money. But knowing that I'd be happier where I'm at and have a chance to grow where I'm at. And it's like you just have to kind of process these decisions and do what's best for you. And, And maybe that's where it takes you know more mentors more dads just more coaches just people in these kids lives to kind of maybe steer toward good decisions and is that stuff kind of happening to your knowledge like as nil grows do do you think that there's uh, enough guidance out there i mean maybe that's an area where these two worlds can kind of
1: coexist i mean i think these are more just broad social questions does yeah does yeah, have an, uh, enough guidance or, or mentorship um i, I should think, say the colleges themselves right i think from from the college landscape it just depends on the team some coaches take pride in developing other coaches don't and if if coaches don't want athletes going into the portal then start recruiting freshmen <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, when when you're yeah. when your transfer class is larger than your freshman class you can't be mad about athletes going to the portal because clearly that is the better way to be recruited. It's,
0: it's sending coaches into either retirement or to the NFL too. Right. I mean, Hey, this is, this is maybe how it should have been all along. So adapt or
1: leave. Right. And then I think, I think from the coach perspective, if, if, if you're recruiting primarily from the transfer portal, you can't be the same one saying that too many athletes are going into the transfer portal. It doesn't make <laughs> sense to me.
0: That's a good place to close out right there. Well said. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Chase. This was great. Uh, where can everybody find you? If they want to listen to you, read you, uh, I'm sure they do after this.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter at chase QB 11. I'm on LinkedIn, just as Chase Griffin. Uh, and then if you want to learn more about the Athletes Bureau, check us out, subscribe. We're on Substack. And um, we we have a podcast, uh, a check writer series, where we interview CMOs, CEOs, and folks in the C-suite at companies that have invested in the college athletes. And uh, there, it's very informative. We have a little fun. And, and we just learn about where, from the company perspective, NIL has been Advantageous and how it can continue to grow moving forward. But Tyler, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your listeners, Uh, and this was fun.
0: Thank you so much, Chase. Everybody, subscribe. You won't be disappointed.